This is the primal scream of a dying regime. Pray for our enemies, because we're going medieval on these people. You're just not got a free shot on all these networks lying about the people. The people have had a belly full of it. I know you don't like hearing that. I know you try to do everything in the world to stop that, but you're not going to stop it. It's going to happen. And where do people like that go to share the big lie? MAGA media. I wish in my soul, I wish that any of these people had a conscience. Ask yourself, what is my task and what is my purpose? If that answer is to save my country, this country will be saved. War Room. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome to the War Room. It's Friday, May 26th, year of our Lord 2023. You got Natalie Winters subbing in for the one and only Stephen K. Bannon. I don't want to brag, but I think we do have murderers row in terms of today's guest lineup. We got Jack Posobiec, Darren Beatty, Mike Davis, Jeff Clark, FBI whistleblower Garrett O'Boyle, and of course, Stephen K. Bannon is going to be calling in, I think, uh, later to talk all things debt ceiling. Now, these aren't necessarily the kind of murderers that woke Soros funded prosecutors will be fighting to release back onto the streets or Kamala Harris would be posting their bail or BLM would be riding and looting about, but these are the murderers, the great, wonderful patriots that Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security, the crazy clowns up in that rogue and weaponized department, are spending millions of your hard-earned taxpayer dollars to silence and censor. Believe it or not, if you watch shows like War Room, even if you watch controlled opposition like Fox, if you've ever been to a Turning Point event or even watch Prager U videos, you've actually taken the gateway drug to becoming a Nazi, at least according to Joe Biden. Remember, War Room, we're very proud. I am misinformation, of course, but the show was rated the number one, the top super spreader of misinformation by the New York Times. But we have Jack Posobiec joining us to discuss this and more. There's a new program Coming out, really a cancer uh, from the Biden regime, the Targeted Violence and Terrorism Prevention Grant Program, quite a lofty sounding name for a program that really is meant to just silence people like me, people like Jack. And of course, we're just in the way because they want to silence and intimidate people like you, the War Room Posse. So, Jack, if you want to walk us through, I think we might have the picture of the pyramid of far-right radicalization, correct? That is the term of a graphic that your taxpayer dollars helped to create coming out of one of these super woke universities. I'd love if you could sort of give us the rundown on what exactly is happening uh, within the DHS under Joe Biden's reign. Yeah, Natalie, thank you so much for having me on The War Room. Congratulations to you on the hosting gig, as well as being able to fill the seat, of course, the the great seat of The War Room (laughs) itself. Now, when we're looking at this piece, and you've got to really credit the folks at the Media Research Center, they are the ones that put this together. They they were able to get these documents out of the Biden administration. Uh, We are now finding that upwards of $40 $40 million. All right. This is not just some Antifa. You've all, we've all seen these charts before. Far left activists, Antifa activists make these things all day long. They say Natalie Winters and Jack Posobiec are the gateway drugs to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all these different things. 
This is a government-funded document in the same vein that we saw the government going after Catholics, the government going after specifically traditional Catholics, people who pray the rosary, being used in an FBI report. So this is part of, if they want to talk about the pyramid of radicalization, this is the pyramid of weaponization, because the way the process works is that these documents are created by Antifa reporters, Antifa journalists, Antifa activists. They're then funneled into um, the U.S. government through these programs like this one that has now been pushed out. Where did this come from? The University of Cincinnati and a man by the name of Michael Lodenthal. You need to know the name Michael Lodenthal because he is a self-proclaimed member of Antifa. He discusses how anti-fascists can deplatform organizations. And we have video of him that we've put out that specifically says that he's designing this document in order to prevent organizations like the ones listed here from being able to operate in society. So, of course, Turning Point USA, which is an organization that I'm a member of, uh, the MAGA movement, PragerU that I've worked with, Breitbart that I'm on all the time, then Fox News, Heritage Foundation, the NRA, the American Conservative Union, they hold CPAC, the Christian Broadcasting Network, the, just the Republican Party in general, uh, the NRA, and then they go and and play this game of associating you with some of these highest or I, I would even say deepest, darkest levels, uh, corners of the Internet organizations that I'm sure that most member if you went to the casual member of a uh, the war room posse, the war room audience, or you just go up to somebody at a Trump event, one of the ubiquitous Trump rallies where he's got these thousands of people and started asking them about these organizations or showing them these symbols, you'd probably get thrown out. All right. I've, I've seen it with my own eyes uh, where people show up with like this. They'll have like like you saw this this weird guy at the White House last week and he's got a U-Haul truck and this Nazi flag that he just bought off of Amazon or something. It's still got the creases uh, because it's brand new. Somebody shows up like that as obviously a plant at one of the Trump rallies, or sometimes they'll use a Confederate flag for the same purposes, and people will throw them out. People will say, you, you know, we don't want that here. We don't want to associate with that. We're not interested. We don't want you around because we know what you're trying to do. That's what generally happens. But what they're doing, and Natalie, what's so insidious about this plot and people like Michael Lodenthal is that they're receiving government documents, and I'll, I'll read for you some of his actual quotes, he participates in seminars called things like the White Nationalism Workshop, where he specifically explains how he's going to use his influence with the U.S. government, with the Department of Homeland Security, to go to financial service providers like who? PayPal, Venmo, Patreon, GoFundMe, retailers like Amazon, service providers like Airbnb to kick you off. So if you're associated with any of the organizations that he's listed, he's now using and specifically designing a pressure campaign to go after conservatives, to go after anybody who has a, a traditional uh, view of marriage, a Christian view of marriage, uh, anyone who believes in not allowing trans uh, propaganda to get to their children. I know I certainly don't want that that you are now going to be classified on these charts and they are going to use the power of the U.S. government to go after you 
personally. We saw this happen with the moms in Loudoun County. We saw this happen to so many organizations when it came to January 6th. And you are now seeing the absolute weaponization, and, and we've talked about this for years at this point, the weaponization of the U.S. government. It's very similar, by the way. If you remember, Natalie, all the way back to remember the National Guard occupation of Washington, D.C. that took place immediately after January 6th and the installation of Joe Biden as president at an inauguration where nobody attended. They vetted, remember they were vetting National Guard members before they deployed to Washington, D.C. And some of the organizations they were looking at, the list almost is identical to the very list that we're seeing here. So we've already seen purges in the military where if you're associated with, you know, if they were going through Facebook, if your Facebook, if you liked uh, the NRA, if you liked Fox News, if you liked Real America's Voice, The War Room, Turning Point USA, Prager, if you had a you know, picture of you in a MAGA hat, they were going after you and they were asking you to not participate in those orders to Washington, D.C. Because, Natalie, this is the first thing a revolutionary regime does when they come to power is purge the military. We know outsourcing is, of course, the modus operandi of the American elite. Usually we talk about the working class's jobs, but in this case, it really seems like they're outsourcing censorship uh, to basically non-government agencies who maybe have a little more leeway to get away really with a, a much harsher and more intense, I would argue, complete degradation, if not dissolution um, of the First Amendment. But this really strikes me back to think of of course, the notorious disinformation board, Nina Jankowitz, your personal favorite, someone who you also helped make famous. But I guess that sort of brings me to my central question about, about all of these efforts. To... <laughs> She's very talented at singing. Um, but why are, why are there so many of these secret operations, these clandestine, and I use the term operation because it's not like this is just some rogue actor in the government. This is methodical. This is very thought through it. And I even think the buried lead of this entire story is that it was a leak, right? This wasn't supposed to come out. This isn't something that they're doing in open air uh, where sunlight can be the best disinfectant. They want this to stay behind closed doors. Given all that you know about the efforts that, that they're, they're rolling out to suppress misinformation, disinformation, whatever the term is, you know, how, how deep do you think this goes? Natalie, people need to understand that every time we get an image of something like this, uh, this is never one of their top operations. Yes, we were able to destroy the Disinformation Governance Board, and, and Taylor Lorenz did credit me with really making Nina Yankovic famous in that effort, but that doesn't mean the effort goes away. What they do is that they dive deeper. And so the tentacles go deeper. The tentacles go out through all these research organizations. They go through the universities. They use government money. They use government funding because we know what's absolutely going on. And you're right. The government knows that they can't get away. The DHS, which was the same organization, remember, a law enforcement organization set up by the Bush administration with the goal of fighting foreign terrorists, what they're now doing is they're turning, because the war on terror ended, they're now turning the war on terror apparatus against the American people. That's the point of the seditious conspiracy convictions for the Proud Boys, which I argue they are going to use as a thesis to go after President Trump. You're going to see this with Merrick Garland. Uh, I've argued that they are going to use this to drive every conservative out of public space or 
polite society. And I'm not talking about this like, oh, this is something they're going to do. And I'm, I think the government's after me. We've got the documents. You're already on the list. OK, people need to wake up and understand what's going on. And that's why this weaponization of the government committee needs to fight back against this. You need to haul Mayorkas in there. And then I've already heard and Charlie Kirk announced this here on Real America's Voice yesterday. The Turning Point USA is looking at legal action against the Department of Homeland Security, against this organization, the University of Cincinnati, against this individual, Michael Lodenthal. They're going to pursue all legal options available because, Natalie, this is what they're going to try to do. They, if they cannot... Uh, take you, if they can't defeat you in the realm of ideas, in the marketplace of ideas, because they know they can't, then they're going to censor you online. Well, oh, wait, well, we can't censor you online anymore because we're losing that fight. All right. So they're going to make you pay. They're going to drive up your insurance costs. They're going to make it so that you can't actually fund anything. That's why they're going to go after payment processors. They're going to go after businesses. They're going to go after every single way it, it works that you go for business. They will try to deplatform you because you are fighting a revolutionary neo-Bolshevik cabal. They are through the education centers of our country. They've been receiving a free flow of financial aid, these enemies of our republic. And if you're out there within the sound of my voice, you need to understand that this is the dirty relationship between the deepest elements of the deep state in our government, of academia, and now we're seeing the national security state. We saw it the way they went after President Trump. Well, now they're going to do anything to stop President Trump's movement from coming back from organizing. They're going to go after all of his top uh, lieutenants, influencers, anyone out there who's been effective at moving the needle. You are now going to be targeted. Of course, we've seen that with Steve Bannon more than anybody else after President Trump. We've seen it with General Flynn, Roger Stone, Peter Navarro, who is, uh, who is fantastic in the Trump administration. Every single name that you can think of has had this government go after them. So now, because they are already effectively working on that, they're going to go after the very people themselves. And they're going to use any organization or any organized movement to be able to do so. And Jack, you have a knack for always ending up in their crosshairs. we got to jump to break. But before we let you go, I hear you have a new show or a new time slot. If you want to let people know where they can, can find you, I'd appreciate that. We do. So thank you so much, Natalie. Um, Human Events is now moving to 2 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be on immediately after Kirk. So you're going to get Poso, Kirk and Bannon. That is your national populist block every day. Stay tuned because high energy, more guests, more fields reports. You're going to love it. You're getting in the fight. 2024 is right around the corner and it's time to bring the receipts. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure that lineup, I'm sure the censors at DHS and that professor you were just talking about, they're losing sleep at night. Thank you so much for joining us, Jack. We'll be right Junk science. That's what the doctor called many of those fruit and vegetable supplements. Junk science because they use extracts of common produce department fruits and vegetables with few health benefits. Now look, I take Field of Greens because it's the whole organic fruit and vegetable, not a watered-down supplement, and it's backed by a better health promise. Each ingredient in Field of Greens was scientifically chosen to support vital organs like heart, lungs, and kidney health. Others support my immune system, blood pressure, metabolism, and healthy weight loss. I don't eat as healthy as I should. I got that. I know it. I own it. That's why I take Field of Greens. Like me, you'll probably look and feel healthier fast and have way more energy. And I mean way more energy. 
but your best proof will be at your next checkout checkup when your doctor says, hey, whatever you're doing, it's working, keep it up. Let me get you started with 15% off. Visit fieldofgreens.com. That's fieldofgreens.com and use promo code Bannon. That's promo code Bannon at fieldofgreens.com. Take action, action, action. Do that today. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. This whole crusade against misinformation and how we at the War Room and the War Room Posse love to hold the line sort of reminds me of going against a Hydra every time you cut off one of their heads, whether it's the disinformation board coming out of DHS, it just sort of crops back up and pops back up from somewhere else within the Biden regime, oftentimes a lot more intense. Remember, it wasn't too long ago that we had exposed that the National Science Foundation. Shouldn't they just be funding studies into, like, I don't know, science? Uh, but they were actually funding ways to basically, and this is a direct quote from the grant, to basically control what you think and to pre-bunk misinformation. I'm sure they have a very interesting preconceived notion of what constitutes misinformation, and I'm sure your brain is full of it. Uh, but joining me to discuss, and someone who is always cutting off the Hydra's head, whether it has to do with January 6th, misinformation, really anything, is of course a good friend of the show and a fellow U Chicago graduate, Darren Beatty. Uh, if we have you, I wanted to get you on yesterday, but I understand you're a busy man. So I'm sure the War Room Posse would love to hear your thoughts, your reactions to Stuart Rhodes, uh, the founder of the Oath Keepers, his sentence that he received yesterday and the very interesting addition or application of a terrorism enhancement, which I think is the first time that a January 6th defendant has had that applied um, in their sentencing. If you could sort of walk us through everything, give us all all the details, I'd appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, it's great to be here and it's great to see you hosting again. Um, yes. Well, it was a major development in the saga of the January 6th uh, Fed surrection. The sentencing that some of the Oath Keepers got, including the founder of the Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes, but also there's an individual called Kelly Meggs and others, they've received sentences that are really inconceivable in relation to the underlying so-called offenses. Rhodes, I believe, got 18 years. Meggs got 12 years. Um, this kind of sentencing is insane, not only for its duration, but also for the unprecedented nature of the underlying charges. Uh, seditious conspiracy with terrorism enhancement. This is all clearly a desperate attempt to read for the regime to regain the narrative that this is some kind of deadly insurrection on the level of an actual terrorist event. They've lost the narrative because most American people understand that it's a complete joke. It's not an insurrection, it's a fedsurrection. So they think by giving these ridiculous sentences, uh, they can somehow restore gravitas to this narrative that no thinking person actually believes. And of course, there's another dimension to this, which has always been kind of hidden in the background, always been implicit in all of these insane January 6th charges is how are they going to get to Trump? This is all more or less a predicate of getting to Trump on the narrative level, 
of basically using a false story of an insurrection to cast wide aspersions on anyone who would dare to challenge the 2020 election and to make it very difficult to organize in the real world on the basis of critique of the 2020 election. That's always been a huge part of it, but also to cripple the political prospects of the man himself, Donald Trump, who is the overwhelming front runner for 2024. And so it looks like they're setting up a uh, prosecution predicate with these ridiculous charges and sentences to perhaps go after Trump for a serious January 6th charge, perhaps even seditious conspiracy, which would be ridiculous. But again, the purpose is to kneecap his prospects politically. They can't beat him at the ballot box. They will abuse the justice system in order to harm him in any way possible. So I, I want to drill down on that because I, you know, we don't want to lose track of the thing itself, which is, of course, that they're using all of this to go after Trump. But before we, we really get into that, there's sort of an interesting, I think, I would call it a, maybe a cognitive dissonance with dichotomy going on, because on one hand, you have the establishment saying that, you know, domestic terrorism is at an, all, an all-time high. Uh, we need to spend tens of millions of taxpayer dollars to suppress anyone, everyone, and their mother if they dare to say the word election fraud, January 6th, Trump, really anything. Um, but but when it comes to, to other issues, you don't really see much of uh, really haste or any really just actual efforts from the establishment to get to the bottom of January 6th. In other words, it's sort of performative. And I think this story dovetails very nicely with the fact that the FBI, though they've been able to identify the car that was involved in the pipe bomb attack of the DNC headquarters, something that they've been curiously silent about, um, the FBI is refusing to hand over, at least to Congress, the, uh, the identity of the individual. I know the House Judiciary Committee sent a letter, I think yesterday or two days ago, um, to the FBI to try to get compliance to understand who was behind this. But how do you make sense of these two sort of competing worldviews? On one hand, domestic terrorists and Trump supporters are the worst thing. They are, you know, evil incarnate, but simultaneously, we're not actually going to try to get to the bottom of it. Well, it's a great question, and I've long maintained through our reporting at Revolver News that there are two smoking guns of the Fed's erection. One is the case of Ray Epps, which is a ridiculous matter in its own right. Ray Epps has retained a David Brock-associated lawyer to try to intimidate people from pointing out obvious inconsistencies in his stories and obvious uh, questions regarding his participation in January 6th, but that's for another time. The other smoking gun is this literally incredible story about the so-called January 6th pipe bomb. And Revolver News has covered this extensively. We don't have time to rehearse the whole thing. Suffice it to say, the circumstances under which the pipe bomb by the RNC was found are basically unbelievable, improbable to the point of simply not, you know, infinitesimal probabilities as to how it actually happened if, if we believe the official story. The circumstances under which the DNC pipe bomb was not found sitting out there for, say, around 17 hours and nobody spotted it despite its conspicuous uh, uh, positioning and placement, 
the Secret Service we know is there. They didn't find it. Um, that doesn't make any sense. And you have to kind of combine these two independently infinitesimal, infinitesimally improbable events in order to um, get the official version, which has always been untenable. And on top of that, Revolver is shown using forensic analysis of the surveillance footage the FBI has presented. The FBI or somebody has tampered with the surveillance footage such to make it impossible to find out who this guy is. And we know the government has the tools. Simple implementation of geofencing capability would be more than sufficient to find out who this person is because we know the person was using a cell phone. And so now we know, at least publicly we know, that the feds have his license plate too. They have everything on this guy. They know who this guy is and they've known who this guy is for a long time. The question is why don't they want the public to know despite their public appeals to being desperate to, you know, for, to, to getting any information that could uncover the identity of this alleged MAGA terrorist pipe bomber. And maybe the same reason the FBI doesn't want the public to know is the same reason that the Democrats seemingly have no interest in uncovering the identity of this, again, alleged MAGA terrorist who planted an explosive device outside of their own national headquarters. You think if they had confidence that this person is fits the bill of who they're pretending it is, they would have every interest in the world to uncovering this person and thereby generate another round of publicity amplifying this narrative that they're desperate to uh, crystallize that this was a terrorist event, this was a dangerous insurrection. You know, the most terrorist-like element you're going to get out of this nothing burger is an explosive. This is the only explosive. This is the holy grail for them. And yet they're not trying to milk it at all. They don't want to know who this person is. And just as an additional juicy bit of information, we know Kamala Harris was in the DNC while the pipe bomb was out there. Kamala's people covered this up for over a year. And again, you ask, why wouldn't Kamala have milked this fact for all that it's worth saying, look, not only was this a deadly insurrection, but the vice president, the first vice president woman of color was within a hair's width of being blown up by a pipe bomb. Why wouldn't they want to milk that for all it's worth? And then, but curiously, they're silent on that while trying to amplify the domestic terror narrative in any other way that they can. So the pipe bomb thing doesn't add up along a number of dimensions, basically any way you look at it. And I suspect we're going to get um, some pretty inf interesting information about the pipe bomb in the next coming months, but that's all I can say about that. But I've maintained for a long time on the basis of our reporting, the pipe bomb is bogus. It is one of the two smoking guns of the Fed's erection. If we identify the pipe bomber, I think the whole thing unravels. I want to hold you through the break, but before we go, we got about 30 seconds. If you want to give us a little bit of a tease, maybe people can go and check it out during the break uh, about a story that you have up on Revolver News that has to do with DeSantis. Absolutely. Well, as we all know, he announced his 
his his campaign the other day, and he's been touted with some justification as being a very competent person in the realm of policy. But here we give an insider's perspective of really, really inexcusable failures when it comes to his attempt to address the big tech censorship issue. So we'll get into that in detail at the end of the day. Yes, we'll be right back. Hang in there. We got Darren Beatty, Mike Davis, and a lot more to come. For War Room veterans, you know we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in stream short supply across the United States. But you know that because you're a viewer or listener of the show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical. That's one word, J-A-S-E, medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back to the War Room. Still not Stephen K. Bannon, but you should be joining us a little bit later in the show to talk all things debt ceiling. But in the meantime, you're stuck with me and Darren J. Beattie. I don't know if stuck is the right word to use. We're lucky to have him on the show. Darren, before I let you go, before I let you go, I will also let you talk a little bit more about that wonderful DeSantis piece you have up on Revolver News. I just want to ask you if, or should I say when, Donald J. Trump becomes president again, to get to the bottom of all of this January 6th stuff, of course the pardons are going to come, but to actually go after the deep state, the weaponized federal government, the the feds that comp- comprise the fed of the feds erection, what would be the first action, the first step that you think he should take to really unravel this, I would argue, pretty loosely wound uh, conspiracy you know, that's a great question. And it depends on how much we're able to get done between now and when Trump hopefully gets into the White House again. Um, if we're not able to make the progress that I expect and hope to be able to make, the first priority, as I've said multiple times, including as advice to the committee and everybody else, pertains to the pipe bomb. And it's very simple and it has the advantage of being very specific. We need to get to the bottom of that surveillance footage. As I pointed out, Revolver News proved definitively that someone, presumably the FBI, tampered with the surveillance footage such to make it impossible to identify this person. We want the full, raw, and unedited surveillance footage 
from the DNC and any other cameras. And furthermore, we want the full chain of custody of how the footage got from the DNC to the FBI. Um, if I had one, you know, sort of genie wish left pertaining to January 6th, that would be it. I think once we find that, the whole thing just demolishes. Well, hopefully you can say the magic word and get that wish. But Darren, before I let you go, one more time, if you want to just tease uh, the story of Up at Revolver and let people know how they can get access to you, the site and everything you're working on, that would be great. Well, as we know, Ron DeSantis is an Ivy League minted politician, but the job that he did pertaining to addressing the big tech censorship problem is not Ivy League tier. It's more like a Goucher college tier, if anyone's heard of that. It's a woman's school that Jonah Goldberg got into on affirmative action. But the whole story of DeSantis' war on big tech, it needs to be understood. Um, it looks like he deliberately put some landmines in there to sabotage his own attempt. And we get into why he may have done that. We get into the intricacies of the deal. It's a really interesting case because even Clarence Thomas in, um, in, in an opinion on this case where they tried to uh, put a First Amendment um, objection to Trump blocking people on Twitter, and that got overturned. And in his opinion, Clarence Thomas sort of begged any kind of legislative efforts to address the big tech problem to um, consult the precedents of common carrier law, of various aspects of civil rights law, to kind of make sure that any legislation was optimally in line with pre-existing legislation so it passes a constitutional and legal test so that the law can actually be actively in effect. And many people who are experts in the tech sphere had been kind of begging and urging the DeSantis people to heed this advice. And they refused to for a very kind of peculiar and I think ill-advised reason. So I encourage people, if you care about the censorship issue, which is still one of the most critical issues, I'd say second only to now the weaponization of the Justice Department, which is like the next stage of deplatforming. It's one thing to get kicked off of Twitter. It's another thing to get thrown in jail. And that's where we are now. But it's still a critically important issue. If you want the inside baseball, if you want the scoop of this, if you want to know how DeSantis failed on this issue, go to revolver.news, read the top story. It's white hot. Um, people are talking about it. Darren, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. DeSantis, DeSantis, no matter how you pronounce it, you can't change the fact that you are bought and paid for by the oligarchs of this country, the big tech ones, the Chinese Communist Party compromised ones, the globalist World Economic Forum ones. So I guess it's only fitting that you would launch your campaign on Twitter. No offense. Darren Beatty, I know you always got those pom-poms out. But joining me now, it is a, a, a true honor for myself personally, is uh, one of the whistleblowers who testified uh, during the House weaponization hearing on, of course, the weaponization of the FBI, Garrett O'Boyle. I think we have a clip that, if Denver is 
firing on all cylinders, I would love to play, um, of Mr. O'Boyle testifying, or rather uh, answering questions. If we have that, we can go to it. All right, we're going to go to that. And Mr. O'Boyle, we, we just heard from you, your, your interaction with Mr. Gates and how all of this occurred and all of the hardships you've gone through. If one of your really good friends, your former colleagues, came to you and said, I have this thing that is being covered up and I think the American people know to, know, need to know about it, what advice would you give them? I would tell them first to pray about it long and hard. And I would tell them I could take it to Congress for them or I could put them in touch with Congress, but I would advise them not to do it. So you would legitimately try to protect one of your colleagues from doing what you have done? Absolutely. And how do you think that solves being able to shine light on corruption, weaponization, any kind of misconduct that exists with the American people? It doesn't solve it. But the FBI will crush you. This government will crush you and your family if you try to expose the truth about things that they are doing that are wrong. And we are all examples of that. I can't think of a more sobering way to end a hearing. I yield back. Powerful. Now, I think we have Garrett. Before we get into the good stuff, or should I say the, the really, frankly, bad and depressing stuff, I'd love for you to just introduce yourself a bit to the audience, but particularly... I've always been curious because, you know, the term whistleblower, that's sort of like sacred status on the left, right? The golden child. I remember during Trump's first impeachment, all of the globalist think tank funded witnesses that they had go up. They were all whistleblowers talking about how Trump was undermining America on the world stage. They had no respect for the chain of command, but they were really hailed by the mainstream media as really the best thing since sliced bread, right? There was nothing better. There's no better protected class in America than being a whistleblower. But I guess only if you're a whistleblower, if you're controlled opposition for the establishment, if you're an actual whistleblower in the truest sense, much like you are, you don't seem to enjoy the same, not only protections, the same favor, let alone the same respect um, from Democrats when they're questioning you. So if you just want to let the audience know a little bit about your background when it comes to the FBI, but also just on, on a personal note, when you see this double standard uh, for whistleblowers, how does that make you feel? And, and is it is it worth speaking out? You know, it's really disappointing to see how we've been treated and you have Congress people up there straight up saying, these aren't whistleblowers. And it's like, okay, you can say that all you want. You can grandstand up there all you want. But the law is clear. 5 U.S.C. 7211 says that every federal employee has a right to go to Congress. And then for the FBI, 5 U.S.C. 2303 is the whistleblower protection statute. So for these Congress people to grandstand like that, it's it's really disappointing. It's misleading to the nation. And I've been thinking about it this way. Prior to the hearing, we were sworn in to tell the truth. But those Congress people weren't because they weren't up there telling the truth. They were lying about me and Steve Friend and Marcus Allen. And when I was uh, deposed back in February, which oddly enough, that much of some of that testimony was twisted and obfuscated and leaked to the media by the Democrat staff attorneys who were there. And it's like this two-tiered system where I straight up told them at that deposition that this is not this isn't a partisan issue. You know, fixing the FBI and corruption inside the agency that I was whistleblowing about 
shouldn't be a partisan issue at least. And I know my whistleblower colleagues agree with that. It's it's wrong no matter what the topic is, whether it's January 6th or uh, stat padding or the whole litany of topics that we reported on, regardless of the type of crime that is being investigated by the FBI or the, the type of ideology that's being investigated, if the FBI and the DOJ, which I, I lovingly refer to as the MOJ these days, the Ministry of Justice for your viewers who are familiar with 1984 by George Orwell, but um, it, it shouldn't matter because the FBI should just simply be finding the facts and not having an agenda, which they clearly have these days. Um, but as for my background in the FBI, I was hired in 2018. Uh, that's when I showed up at, in Quantico. And after initial training, uh, I was sent to the Kansas City field office into the Wichita Resident Agency on the JTTF, the Joint Terrorism Task Force. And after two years, I tried out for the SWAT team and I was selected for that. And I still, my normal duties were on the JTTF, but just had that additional collateral duty of SWAT. And fast forward a couple more years, I tried out for a new unit they were creating in Quantico. And uh, when I showed up on my first day there, that is when uh, I was suspended. And we had sold our house in Kansas already. We were kind of living transiently after having our uh, baby daughter in early September. And then, uh, yeah, when I showed up, it was before we closed on our house in Virginia. So they suspended me. They had me right where they wanted me. I, I firmly believe that. I don't think I'll ever be able to be swayed from that position. And like Congressman Jordan said at the hearing, he said, if we can get this guy, if we can get Garrett O'Boyle, then we can get anybody or something to that effect. And I think he was right. You know, the FBI became aware of my protected disclosures and said, what can we drum up against this guy to get rid of him? And that's what I believe happened. Got about two minutes before we have to jump to break, and I definitely want to hold you. But I, I really want to focus on, I think the hearing exposed the first kind of tenet, the first theater of war, really, that the FBI has been operating in to weaponize the federal government. And that is, of course, the inflation of domestic terrorism here, right? Whether we saw the way they were prosecuting January 6th, their choice to look at parents uh, concerned about critical race theory in the 1619 Project in their children's classrooms, while, of course, turning a blind eye quite literally to some of the more serious offenses going on here, or like one of your uh, fellow whistleblowers said they won't focus on election fraud. They'll only focus on uh, voter intimidation cases. But I think that brings me to the second point, uh, really the, the one-two punch, which is why are they doing this? In other words, they're trying to create a pretext or really a pretense that there is a massive tidal wave of domestic extremism and hate going on in this country. Therefore, the deep state needs to strike back and silence you and censor you. We saw this with the story we had Jack Posobiec on discussing earlier, right? They're going to spend tens of millions of taxpayer dollars to uh, to silence you just because you go to a Turning Point event or because you dare to click on a Heritage link. So i got to go to break in about 30 seconds. Like I said, I definitely want to hold you. But I'm just curious. You can start and then we'll have to jump. But what do you think is the driving force behind this push to inflate the problem of domestic extremism? I think they, the agency has been politicized and that starts at the top and has permeated throughout the um, executive staff level. And 
I'll, I'll keep going when we get back, but that's a good little starting point. Just a little bit of a teaser, because the rot really is so deep. Something is rotten, not just in Denmark, but apparently at the FBI, too. We'll be right back with whistleblower Garrett O'Boyle. In my younger days, I was a naval officer on a destroyer. In fact, I was the A-gang officer in charge of all the engineering systems that were not main propulsion. And one of those was air purification. And I can tell you, the standards of the United States Navy are second to none. If all home air purifiers are the same, why did the U.S. Department of Defense select EnviroCleanse to protect and purify the air on board our Navy ships? Because EnviroCleanse, advanced mineral technology, goes beyond ordinary HEPA filters to destroy airborne illness causing cold and flu viruses, including COVID. EnviroCleanse is the new science in air purification, and now you can order one for your home. This is how you help stop colds and flus from taking your whole family down. This is how you destroy allergy and flaming toxins and mold from the air your family breathes. In fact, this hospital-grade technology is so powerful that it promises far fewer colds and allergies and better sleep. Visit ekpure.com. That's ekpure.com and use the code STEVE for 10% off your EnviroCleanse home purification unit. You also receive a free air quality monitor plus fast free shipping. That's $150 savings right there. That's ekpure.com code Steve. ekpure.com code Steve. Has arrived. The new social media taking on big tech, protecting free speech, and canceling cancel culture. Join the marketplace of ideas. The platform for independent thought has arrived. Superior technology. No more selling your personal data. No more censorship. No more cancel culture. Enough. Getter has arrived. It's time to say what you want the way you want. Download now. Hello. I'm Steve Stern, CEO of Flagshirt.com, a third-generation, veteran-owned small business. I believe that the American way of life is for all of us. I'm asking you today to visit flagshirt.com. Help keep the American dream alive. Be a flag waver. Carry a nation's heritage. Use coupon code ACTION10 for 10% off site-wide and buy a flag shirt today. Action, action, action. Trump versus DeSantis on taxes. In Congress, Ron DeSantis pushed a 23% national sales tax, where the middle class pays more. 90% of families would get a tax hike if DeSantis replaced the current system. President Trump cut taxes a lot, lowering tax rates for everyone. Trump cut taxes. DeSantis tried to raise them. Ron DeSantis, wrong on tax hikes, just not ready. Make America Great Again, Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. Welcome back to The War Room. You know what I didn't tell you about that little far-right radicalization pyramid that the DHS has comprised using your taxpayer funds? At the very top of it, do you know what it is? It's my pillow. I'm kidding, but probably not. I'm sure somewhere there's someone in the federal government who's been given millions of your taxpayer funds to describe people who use my pillow as domestic extremists, but for good reason because their products are just that wonderful. Make sure you use promo code WARROOM if you're in the market for really anything dog beds, mattress toppers, blankets, slippers, of course. 
the infamous my pillow 2.0 again that's promo code war room the best promo code in the game i'm not biased but someone else who's not biased unlike dan goldman says is garrett o'boyle who i think we still have so if you want to pick up where we had to leave off because of the break with what really is kind of the end game what is the fbi's ultimate agenda here when it comes to the inflation of domestic extremism cases in the united states so uh I think it starts with the politicization of the agency and especially at the headquarters level. So as you know, it's in Washington, D.C., and I think a lot of it is hubris and the the type of people that the FBI consistently promotes or the type of people who consistently seek to get promoted. It's a revolving door between headquarters and Washington field office and Baltimore field office, and it's all about you know, networking with each other and climbing over each other's backs so they can keep rising through the ranks and they know the game. They, they, they like the swamp and they like the notoriety of being in the FBI. So I think it starts with the politicization of the agency. And then I think some of it is also even just simple incompetence. Uh, Yesterday, or maybe it was the day before I saw Congressman Dan Bishop at the uh, Homeland Security Committee. He was uh, questioning uh, Jill Murphy, who's a deputy assistant director in the FBI, and she didn't have any real answers for him. She couldn't even speak to the things that she had submitted in her prepared testimony, and sh- she kept saying, "Oh, I'll have to, I'll have to go back uh, and get answers for you." And she admitted she had never even read the Twitter files, and she probably never even read the Durham report. So some of it is is people like that who are incompetent. They don't really care about the things that are pertinent to their own position, much less the country as a whole. And all they care about is the notoriety and promoting. And they they don't care about your constitutional rights. They don't care about my constitutional rights. Uh, And I think a lot of it, too, it even goes back to 9-11 and the Patriot Act. And now that the scare of Islamic terrorism is over to, to, uh, you know, most mostly over. I don't think people are really as concerned about that these days. It's a um, justifying existences. They have the powers uh, from from laws like the Patriot Act, and they have to figure out a way to implement them and, you know, pump up the numbers. And so instead of turning it outward on foreign enemies, they've turned it inward on the American people. And since the upper echelons of government are typically controlled by the radical left, they've decided to turn it on conservatives. And that seems to be very clear to anybody who's been paying attention. And I know it was clear to me, and that's why some of my protected disclosures uh, are regarding that type of information. They would shred the Constitution so quickly if they could. Got a few minutes. I'm just curious. You obviously you know, worked at the FBI. You understand the inside baseball When we talk about combating the administrative state and draining the swamp to actually right this wrong and to fix the FBI, again, it's a a loaded question because that implies that you can. In terms of mass firings and actually getting to the issue, getting to the core, how many people do you think would need to be fired? Is it just a leadership problem or does it go all the way down um, to the, the door knocker level too? I think uh, it certainly is the leadership level, but it has infected the agency as a whole. From my perspective, as just a regular line agent, it was minimal at that level. 
But uh, for whatever reason, the FBI attracts a wide range of characters who want to try to become agents or other employees of the agency. And sometimes it attracts the wrong type of people who think that they know better and that your rights don't matter. And sadly, oftentimes those seem to be the type of people who are typically promoted. Um, so I'm not saying we need to fire every single employee in the FBI. I don't think that's reasonable. I don't think that's possible, but there needs to be uh, sweeping changes, especially at the headquarters and leadership levels in the in the FBI. And I think a good starting point is um, not letting them have their new headquarters that they want that would be even bigger than the Pentagon. Why would our domestic law enforcement agency need such a massive compound? And I think that just points uh, at how their law enforcement mission has really changed into an intelligence mission. And when you have a domestic law enforcement agency with intelligence powers that, or rather an, a domestic intelligence agency with law enforcement powers, and it has turned itself against the people that's supposed to be protecting, uh, that's a scary time and a scary place to be for any nation. Uh, exactly. So hopefully, hopefully our lawmakers, you know, really uh, take a stab at that and, and try to strip and that. And Garrett, we're, we're coming up against a break. If people want to find you and support you, where can they go? Fight with cash. Fight with cash, as we all should. We'll be right back. Garrett, thank you so much for joining us, truly. An honor and a privilege. You are a true patriot. We have another patriot, Jeff Clark, coming right up. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. WARROOMHEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out. 